This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It is Wednesday. They are back out on the practice field getting ready for their Week 10 matchup at home. Little home cooking for the Bills this week and next week. First, Boom. Dig it. First back-to-back home Ooh. games all season long. It's nice. Um, Very nice. Pretty wild. <clears throat> When you think about it. Weather's supposed to be kind of crummy. Weather is going to be a little questionable. We'll get to that in a second. But how you be? It's Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on One Bills Live. Players back on the practice field, and we'll run down the entire list, including uh, one Josh Allen, who is under the microscope from a health perspective. We got Bills Mafia, like, praying at their bedside every night that his elbow is okay. And we'll get to Coach McDermott's comments in just a few minutes. But just to lay it out there, Josh Allen is officially listed as day-to-day with a right elbow injury, throwing elbow, obviously. He is not practicing today. As far as playing on Sunday, Coach McDermott had a two-word answer, we'll see. So that means he is obviously not ruled out for Sunday's game. But Case Keenum will be taking all of the reps in practice today, and we'll have to see where it goes from there after today. Um, But Josh Allen not out on the practice field today, at least during the media viewing portion of practice. Coach McDermott said he is not practicing today in any capacity, so that's kind of where he left it. Any kind of questions that you may have about, is this an injury that he could make worse? Is it an injury that will eventually need surgery? Is it an injury that he sought a second opinion on? Is it an injury that can improve with rest? All of those questions will not be answered by Coach McDermott. He is leaving medical details to the medical professionals and is not going to weigh in on them in any capacity. So as far as shedding light on uh, the prognosis and anything else, I think the Bills are going to keep that in-house. At least Coach McDermott made that very clear today. Yeah, because I... I still think it's obvious they don't know yet. Oh, you, know? you don't think they know? No, I don't think they know yet. I think I, I think th- they know exactly what the injury is. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't How know it's th- going to respond is a different story, right? Yeah, I, That's I, why it's we'll see. Right. I don't know. I, I just don't think they're really for sure 100% that, that Josh is going to play or he's not going to play. Um, certainly him not being at practice is not a great thing, but – you know, I mean, at this point of his career, Wednesday practice isn't going to make that big a difference. Uh, I know this team also is very cautious with injuries. They err on the side of caution. That is true. That would presumably, I don't know whether presumably maybe not or presumably absolutely positively apply to the most important player on their roster. I think it probably would, don't you? Yeah, I mean – they don't really make too many exceptions here. There if, is no exception. If the medical information tells them to take this course of action, they take that course of action. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's right. Whether it's Josh Allen or the Queen of England, uh, <laughs> you know, they're not deviating from what the medical information tells them to do in terms of a course of action to get the player back on the field safely and without recurrence of injury. So. That's where it's left at this point in time. We'll have more on Josh when we uh, play you Coach McDermott's press conference, at least the first six to eight minutes of it, so you can get it straight 
from the head coach's mouth in just a minute, but we wanted to run down some of the other injury notes that are worth mentioning. Greg Rousseau, who was labeled a week-to-week injury on Monday, remains that here today with a high ankle sprain, suffered in the Jets game in the first half, didn't return in the second half. He is week-to-week, so probably pretty unlikely to play on Sunday. Then we've got uh, Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds. They're listed as day-to-day with injuries. Poyer obviously still dealing with the elbow injury, suffered against the Green Bay Packers a couple of weeks ago. Edmonds was listed on the injury report last week with a heel injury. We're assuming it's the same injury. He was able to play in last week's game, but coming out of that game, still dealing with it, and this could be just a lingering, nagging thing for him, and they have to manage it through the week so he's well enough to play on Sunday. That could be that could very well be the course of action here in the coming weeks for him. At least it was last week. It appears to be the case again this week. So that's the situation with those two. On the good news front, Matt Milano bat, back practicing today, seemingly with no limitations, but we'll wait to see what the injury report provides. Maybe he only practices in a limited capacity because he did. He is wearing a red non-contact jersey today at practice, so that would lead you to believe he'll be limited in some capacity since he can't go full contact. So we'll wait for the Wednesday injury report to verify that, but that's the assumption there. And then another player participating in a red non-contact jersey, Dane Jackson. Uh, Dane Jackson, if you remember, athletic trainers came out on the field during the Jets game to check him out, exited the game briefly, but then re-entered. And and did he re-enter? He did, yes. Yes. He finished the game. So we'll have to see what his status is um, and his level of participation, although, again, with a red non-contact jersey, the assumption is he's probably going to be limited in some capacity in practice today. Um, other than that, other players not seen at practice. Roger Saffold uh, was not seen out there working on the side or otherwise, so we'll have to get to the bottom of that, and maybe he is just getting a veteran rest day. I didn't see Von Miller either. Those two veteran players generally get veteran rest days at some point in the week. Right. Wouldn't be surprised if it is today. Um so that is probably did your you, top to bottom practice have, update, I which is admit, presented mention, by hold on, presented by LeeCom, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. Did you talk about Trey White? What Trey White we did not discuss yet, but he is considered the the same day to day. We'll see how he goes and see if he's ready to play on Sunday kind of deal. He's practicing. All right. And that's pretty much where it's at with him. Basically the way coach has left it is he's essentially said when he's ready to play, he'll play. Right. So, and he was inactive this last week, so that's, you know, that's right. Any step forward is a step forward, I guess. Got to believe he's getting closer, and it'd be nice to have him in the game this week. I don't know that if he does play this week, that you throw him out there against Justin Jefferson, arguably one of the best three receivers in the league. But maybe your approach is you bracket coverage Jefferson all day with two other guys and put Trey on their second best receiver. You know, K.J. Osborne or whoever you think that might be and just have him lock the other guy up. A lot of teams actually employ that strategy. Um, Right. Everybody says, well, you got to shut down corner. He's going to go to their number one receiver and follow him around. That's not usually not always the way it works. Sometimes they put and you can see the logic of it. Put your best guy on their second best guy. So you get an even better matchup right there and then double team the other guy. Right. Double team the number one guy. 
that a lot of teams because that then you take away both options. So we'll see. Um, it's certainly you'd like to have Trey White out there if he's ready to play in 100% and all that. I will say there was one other thing that I noticed out there. Spencer Brown practicing with his fellow offensive lineman. He had been working on the side the last couple of weeks, coming off that ankle injury. He was in with the rest of the linemen today. So hopefully that's a positive development for his return as he's missed the last couple of games with the ankle injury suffered in the Chiefs game before the bye. So we're already going on three weeks, three-plus weeks. This is week four um, without him in the lineup. So hopefully by the end of the week he is back in the lineup at the right tackle position, but we'll wait and see how the week progresses for him. Um, Steve, in looking at the Vikings, there are some interesting things that I have uncovered. I think by now, most fans know Vikings on a six-game winning streak. All six of those wins by eight points or less, so one possession games. They've won them all. And <laughs> I'm taking it with a grain of salt. Oh, you are. The reason why is because the Vikings have faced eight teams, five backup quarterbacks during this season, two of them in one game. So four of their eight games, they've played against backup quarterbacks. So that's where, that's where it is. New Orleans was one game. Uh, Miami was another that I know for sure. Right. Washington this past week was the third, and I, I haven't done the research yet to find the fourth. Those are the ones that I know off the top of my head. Um, so, yeah, um, that, that's got something to do with it. And then the other thing that I noticed, too, they faced a lot of backup offensive tackles. So Zadarius Smith, who, don't get me wrong. I think it was this last week, t- Commanders, and they Face Heineke? Yes, I said that. Oh, I said okay. Washington is one. I was trying to just find the four. Heineke, Miami. Heineke, Miami, and then New Orleans in London. Yeah. I believe it was Andy Dalton, uh, not Jameis Winston. Um, so those are three of the four. And I just got to tackle the last one. And I'll let you know when I find out and comb through the game books. But the other thing is they've played against a lot of teams with their backup tackles. So Zadarius Smith has been feasting. On backup quarterbacks, because not only is he facing a backup quarterback, he's facing a second-string offensive tackle. Well, there you go. A half dozen times. So, uh, you know, there's there's mitigating circumstances there. Don't want to dismiss it. Six wins in a row is hard to do. Um, And now I've got some help. Random Bills fan helped me out on the Twitter. He said it was the – they didn't play Dallas yet. No, they didn't play Dallas. No, it's not Cooper Rush. They didn't play Dallas yet. Play Dallas it wasn't after Chicago. the Chicago. They played Fields. It um, might have been um, Detroit because I I think Goff missed a game in there somewhere, so it may have been Detroit. No, Goff was listed as the only quarterback who threw a pass in that game. Okay, so I'll have to uh, dig into that because Rodgers played Week One and they lost to the Vikings, but we'll figure it out. Not to worry. Um, but, yeah, so it's like you want to give them credit for winning six in a row, but at the same time you're right. like, well, yeah, I don't know. Um, and still, despite facing backup oh, was, quarterbacks. I know what it was. It's Andy Dalton, New Orleans. I already said that oh, Okay. I, I knew The ones I knew, New Orleans, Miami, Washington. So the only ones you got left are Arizona, Chicago, 
Detroit, Philly, Green Bay. And I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers started the opener. So, so there you go. We'll figure that out during the break. Not going to waste time doing it now. Um, the other thing I noticed, Steve, the Bills' fewest points scored all season, fourth quarter. Right. Only 36 points scored this season in the final quarter of play. Now, sometimes that's because they're way out in front and they've taken their foot off the gas and they just got to kill the clock. I get that. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Vikings, their highest scoring quarter is the fourth quarter. They've got right. double the number of points scored in the fourth quarter than the Bills. 70 to 36. Two teams winning in far different ways. Well, they, like you said, ton of close games for the, for the uh, Vikings. All of their last six games have been within a score. Um, they're used to this spot right here. And, and they're winning. And scoring in the fourth quarter wins you games like that. I mean, right? Oh, yeah. So there you have it. And it's a, it's a great mindset to be comfortable in. In fact, that was, you know, that's – I don't give it too much credit when you're talking about the Bills because, you know, the Bills' losses all come by single digits. Their wins rarely do. Um, and they're winning a lot of games. But their wins are rarely close. The Bills' wins are usually, you know, double-digit affairs. Um, and it's just the opposite of that for the for the uh, Vikings. So you look at the Bills' schedule, you know, they're winning 31-10, 41-7 kind of thing. Um, they did win a close one against Baltimore. And they won a close one against Kansas City. Everything else... Uh, the losses are all very close. A three-point loss this last week a three, and a two-point loss to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, that's the way it's been over the last two years. You go back to 2021, they were, oh, they were 11-0 and 0 in double-digit wins and 0-5 or 1-5 in single-digit losses or single-possession losses. You know, and some people were starting to make something out of it, which I, I didn't really have time for. Uh, they lost on opening day to Pittsburgh last year. They lost to Tennessee by three. They lost to Jacksonville by three. Remember that, I'm sure. Uh, they lost to New England by four, and they lost to the Bucks by five or six. Uh, and then, you know, you sprinkle in the Indianapolis Colt loss where the Colts came in and run them up, ran it up on them. Five of their six losses were by single, single possession, single digits. Uh, so people were like, I'm, I thought it was a rabbit hole, but, yeah, if you want to make it out that the Bills, when they lose, they lose very tight games. When they win, they win big. Well, that's a little true at times. They do they do that a lot, but they also won two close ones this year uh, or won a close one this year, two close ones this year. So um, I'm not caught up in that. Okay. But scoring in the fourth quarter like the Vikings do it's a concern I think for some if you're coming into that well yeah especially if you're in a close one with them at the end I'll say this they, too somehow some way they have found a way to pull those games out to six me, times in a row to me I think it's good coaching because those coaches are giving them some confidence and some plays that will win now I don't know why they're not giving it to them earlier in the game maybe it's a, a negative as much as it's a positive but uh, I think it's a it's a good sign for their coaching staff that those guys are listening to them and and executing at a high level late in the game when the chips are down. So, yeah, the, I think Sean McDermott acknowledged it today. He thinks the from what he has seen on film, 
the Vikings are a well-coached team, and you got to tip your hat to a young staff who's only doing it for the first time together this year. Right. And, you know, you can work your way into explanations for wins, losses, why they happened the way they happened. It's like the old Bill Parcells saying goes, you are what your record says you are. And they're 7-1. and one. So you got they deserve credit for that. For they sure. count, that's for sure. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, what we want to do now, though, is we want to turn to head coach Sean McDermott, who addressed the media just last hour, to bring you his exact comments on Josh Allen's condition, along with the injury status of a handful of other Bills players. Here is the Bills head coach. I respect you guys. I'll have a job to do. Um, so I'll give you what I've got on Josh is uh, uh, he's day-to-day. And the next question will be, is he going to play? And the answer is, we'll see. Um, so based on the medical report that, that we have, uh, Josh is day-to-day. Um, and uh, in terms of other injuries, Tremaine Edmonds will not practice today, nor will uh, Jordan Poyer. Both are day-to-day. Greg Rousseau, as I said the other day, uh, will also not practice. He remains week-to-week. Uh, and then Trey White, also another, another one I know you guys will ask about his status. He is day-to-day. And whether he'll play or not this week is the same in terms of uh, we'll see. So we'll see how his week goes. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. Just ask that you respect uh, the situation around Josh and the job that I have to do as well. I'd appreciate that and, and what we're trying to get done as a team here. So with that, right, time's yours. Let's go ahead and try and you know, see where we can go with that. What can you tell us about the medical report that you got and what's the level of risk um, you're probably figuring that out right now, but, I mean, the risk of injuring that further or whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to go there, Adam. Um, I'm not going to get in the medical report. Um, should have said that to begin with. I'm not answering any more questions about Josh, uh, his status, medical report. I'm not a doctor to begin with. Um, so he is day-to-day. Is he going to play? We'll see. We'll take it one day at a time. Based on, is that based on how much pain he can deal with and, and how he can execute throws or whatever? He's day-to-day. We'll see. We will see. Will he be limited? Give me, give me one second. Let me answer his question fully, please. Uh, we will see how he does. We use common sense, and obviously we factor a lot of things into it, the medical report being one of them, and, and our doctor's wisdom and knowledge. So thanks, Adam. Go ahead, Mark. Well, will he be out there today? Will he? Might he practice limited or probably not practice today? At all? He will not practice today. Sean, as far as crafting a game plan, obviously yep. it, it's a different skill set with Case Keenum. How much, if Case has to play, how much of a challenge will that be for Ken Dorsey to figure out a game plan to all of a sudden thrust him into action? Yeah, this is not this is not Case's first day with us, nor is it um, new. This process new to Case in terms of. Uh, his role or potential role. Um, so he's been through this before. Uh, we have full confidence in Case and Matt Barkley, and um, you know we shape a game plan accordingly uh, based on what we know right now. Hey, Sean. Hi, Josh. Uh, um, has Josh tried to or even attempted to throw a football at all since since Sunday? Josh's day to day. I appreciate that, Josh. Good try, um, but that's candy right there, Josh. That's candy. How, how much you, you talked about his competitive spirit and saying you wouldn't, you wouldn't count him out. How much does Josh 
want to play and play through this? Uh, like I said the other day, I think it was, what, Monday uh, when I last spoke to you guys. I mean, Josh is – you guys know Josh, right? I mean, he's as competitive as there is. Um, he loves to play, loves to play the game. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. John, what is the uh, – can you give us an insight how the communication works between you and the medical staff and Josh and the training staff throughout the whole process and just how you get updated every day on him? Yeah, I mean, normally, just generally speaking, Sal, and to everyone in here, just the education piece of it is Mondays after a game, usually Sunday, at some point I'll get a, get a quick update, and then giving the docs their time to evaluate, go through their process. Uh, and sometimes things change between Sunday and Monday a little bit, naturally, there with more, more uh, time for the docs, and sometimes injuries uh, get smaller or get bigger, you know, within that 24-, 48-hour window. So... Um, again, generally, and then we just update from there. We'll update uh, Monday, uh, and then usually every day um, after Monday, and just stay. The communication piece is important, right? With with the player, the player to the docs, the docs to the player, the docs to us, us with the player. I mean, no different in this case with Josh than any other injury from the standpoint of just the process. You know, has he been sent anywhere to get? I mean, the team obviously has its evaluation. Has he sought a second opinion, or he has he been sent somewhere to get a specialist opinion? Yeah. So I don't. Again, I don't. I respect your question. I don't think it's fair for me to get into all that in the weeds on second opinions and whether that's been sought out or not. But in fairness to Josh and the situation. How much Sorry. does it change the offense with the cases in there? Like, how do you? How did his skill set differ from Josh? Like, how do you see that difference between the two? Well, I mean, I just think there's things that uh, Josh. Uh, does well, and there's things that Case does well, and some of the, some of that's overlap, and um, you know you have your system, and you know again without it getting too far down that road and into into potential strategy areas, um, we believe in Case Keenum. Uh, he's here for a reason. He's been a great addition to our team uh, in more ways than one. And like anybody else, if and when your number is called, it's time to step up. And when you said you have Josh, we talked a lot about Josh and how competitive he is, how he wants to play. How much of the element of this is you and the training staff having to stop him? From, like, obviously, he'll want to be out there, but stop him from injuring himself further, like, either to be like, you have to be that other side of it if he wants to be out there playing naturally. Well, with, like with any player, uh, and we look at everything and um, health and safety and health and well-being of our players is, is top priority, number one, before they go back out on that field. And... That's my responsibility as a coach and, and, and our training staff's responsibility. Is there anything from his um, rookie season injury you can take from you know, how, he, how you handle if he wants to get back out there and if he's not ready to just go? Are there any learning lessons from that? Well, I think you always learn from experience uh, and history. Uh, as a great teacher. Um, so, you know, I think there's some things you can learn from, not specific necessarily to – to the injury, but just overall how a player handles things and how they respond to to the bumps and bruises of the game from time to time. I would ask you more generally mm -hmm. then, and maybe the answer to this question is obvious, but I'd, I'd still love to hear your take on it. I mean, do you have a sense that based on what we've been able to learn about the nature of this injury and that sort of thing, I mean, could this have been far worse given the, you know, on, on, the, on the more severe end of this type of, of injury? Did, did he get up? Was he lucky in a sense, I guess, that it's a day-to-day -day situation? Uh, I don't know. I mean, 
it could all injuries that these guys with all these other guys as well that are day to day they could always be worse right so there's there's uh take it with that you know with a grain of salt just in terms of yeah things could always be worse right um so you know we'll just again see where it goes Sean, regardless of who plays quarterback, how important is it to lean on your run game maybe a little more, at least get more production out of your run game other than the quarterback running the football? Yeah, I know where you're going going with that, Sal. Yes, I mean, overall, you know, you you really don't want to have that show up on the stat sheet um, like it did this past week, Josh being uh, the number one rusher and, and then also throwing like he did. And so... Um, everything in balance, everything in moderation um, uh, is important. All right, so that's Coach McDermott addressing Josh Allen's injury, among others, and obviously peppered with questions, understandably so by the media, as they're trying to ascertain just what we're looking at here with Josh's injury. But I think we're all going to be forced to take it a day at a time, see what tomorrow brings. Does he step out on the practice field? Does he participate in any capacity? And then if not, what happens on Friday? Is it the same thing again? And, you know, as we get closer and closer to the end of the week, it'll obviously be clearer and clearer as to whether or not he's going to be a part of the game plan on Sunday against Minnesota. Yeah, we just have to wait and see. Uh, they've got to prepare, though. I think this, the prudent thing to do is for the Bills to prepare as though he will not make it. You can't count on anything. I mean, certainly you like the guy and he's courageous and he'll go even if he's not 100%. But they're going to look at this with a pretty – dispassionate eye and look try and as best they can anticipate the big picture down the road the playoffs in january february uh december january february football how important that's going to be and to, to have him not drag this thing around like luggage for the rest of the season and have or have it balloon into something that's really serious where it really should have been just a bump in the road that is kind of the message though right like from the coaching staff Look, Josh's status is up in the air at best. Right. We have to focus on a game plan that we're going to have to prepare to execute without him. So it's like all hands on deck to execute that way rather than wait and hope that Josh can play Sunday. Um, Here's a weird thing that I was thinking. Let's just say his elbow is not in good shape to throw the football and he doesn't start on Sunday. Is there any reason you wouldn't put him in the game in first and goal on the three yard line? <laughs> I'm just asking. Uh, I would say probably not. Cause no, you, no, because why would you risk him? And then otherwise you could just do a wildcat. With, well, that's what I'm saying with Josh Allen, like without Josh, I'm saying with Josh, like why do it with him? If you're going to throw him a wildcat, he's the best goal linebacker maybe in the league. Yeah. But that's because he's got the ball in his hand. They're afraid of him throwing it and all yeah. that stuff. I think, I think more, you'll come up with a different plan. Um, put Devin Singletary at quarterback with, you know, Hines and Cook, all three of those guys back there, run the run the triple option. You know who cares? Uh, but I think, or you could put my guy, or activate Justin Zimmer, the three hundred pounder, no, and give him the ball. Right? Um, no, with this much time and a, and a game plan to install, you're going to have a plan to do it, and it'll be a wrinkle that they haven't seen, obviously, because Josh has been in there every snap. So you're going to get some play out of that you're not going to have tendencies that they're going to be tipped off by formation or any other thing so no 
leave Josh active and have him go out there to run the ball? Now, <laughs> no. Now you heard. Don't sign me up for that. You heard Coach McDermott ask several times. There's no debating that Josh Allen's skill set is not the same skill set as that of Case Keenum. They're both playing within the same system, but obviously the game plan will be decidedly different if Keenum is in the lineup. How quickly – I mean, the coaching staff probably knows the percentages of Josh playing this week, whatever it is, and so they move forward accordingly with a game plan. There are a lot of things – that Josh can do that Case Keenum and many other quarterbacks on this planet cannot. So you have to tailor it to, to Keenum, right? Like Absolutely. Because he's the most and likely the players, guy that's playing on it's Sunday. Not as much, it's not as much the coaches or any of that stuff. They, they'll kind of understand what they're trying to do. It's also about the players around him getting used to what they can expect from him. Mm-hmm. You know, Can I expect him to throw this go route late in the play? Probably not, because Josh could get it there. Case Keenum, it would have had to already be out of his hand to get here. Yeah. So there's some of that that goes on. And also, I mean, it might be one of those games where if Case Keenum's the quarterback, they throw to the running backs and the tight ends, or they throw a bunch of screens and, and misdirections and, you know, at the line of scrimmage kind of passes a la Ben Roethlisberger last year in Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where they don't throw the football down the field. It's like Peyton Manning back in – 2016 or 15, wherever it was. So that could be what you're looking at if Case Keenum gets in there. More of that, not exclusively that, because we've seen him throw the football down the field in in practice and stuff. So, But, yeah, skill sets like that manifest themselves in what the offense looks like when it's on the field and, and doing some things they haven't really done a lot of to this point. We'll take a break here. When we come back, how the change at quarterback could make maybe Buffalo's offense a little bit more difficult to decipher at the outset for the Vikings, knowing it will probably look decidedly different if, in fact, Case Keenum is the starter on Sunday. It's One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we are, One Bills Live on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And want to remind you, this week's game sponsor is St. Bonaventure University. St. Bonaventure is an official education partner of the Buffalo Bills. And as we said at the break there, Steve, if in fact it is Keenum on Sunday, how does it maybe shift the preparations for the Vikings? Obviously, there's... Less to worry about because Keenum isn't going to go running around like Josh will. Right. So logic would say the task is easier. Um, at the same time, you know, you got to kind of adjust to Keenum as the this game is, unfolds, I would right, assume. Right. It's, this is a completely different coaching staff than the one Keenum played for when he was in Minnesota. Right. And it was five years ago anyway. Um, it gets easier for them on the field, I don't think they'll take it easier in their game plan. They're going to prepare like they're going to get the best Buffalo version of the Buffalo Bills. And I'll say this, the Bills are good enough to beat the Vikings without Josh and with Case Keeman playing quarterback, but the rest of the roster is going to have to play their best. We haven't seen that in a game and a half. Right. Um, there's always that thought that this Bills team is going to play like they did against the Jets or in the second half of the, of the Green Bay game when they kind of let up. Um, 
if that happens, this Bills team, this roster is not going to beat this Viking team. But if this if this Bills defense comes out and plays like it has, if Milano's out there, doesn't look like Greg Rousseau will be out there, although we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, you know, if, if they get pull your back, maybe or maybe not. If they're not 100% healthy on defense and they don't play well, they're they're going to get their heads handed to them by this team. They're good. This is a seven. This is a six and one team. Seven and one seven team. And, one. Um, and that's no fluke. Now they've been in a bunch of close games, so you can count on even if you're not playing your best, you're going to be in this game till the end. But this is a this is a team that the Bills could beat without Josh. But the the others, the rest of this crew, has got to play their best, and that includes Case Keenum. Yeah. Um, if they don't, yeah, this this Vikings team could run off and leave them because you, you know you got to score points yeah. to keep up. And I, if if they can't do that with Case Keenum at quarterback, uh, and the and the defense is too battered to play well against the Vikings, yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get lumped up. Um, I did find the five backup quarterbacks that the Vikings have faced. It's a little bit of a technicality because Jordan Love did come on in the fourth quarter of the week one game against the Packers, so there's a backup there. Andy Dalton when they played the Saints. Then Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson, as I mentioned, they were two in one game. Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson against Miami, and then Heineke last week. So altogether, that's five. Um, So in limited capacity in one case, granted. And look, I'm not trying to discredit the Vikings in any way, shape, or form, but four backup quarterbacks for sure in their eight games. And then on top of that, they're playing some of the worst, they've played some of the worst defenses in football. Arizona, 26th, Detroit, last in the league, uh, Chicago, 18th, and 21st in points allowed. Um, they, they have not exactly been playing the juggernauts of defense in the NFL so far this season. So yeah. I, I'm trying to say, okay, maybe that exp- – you know, I, I understand why they're 7-1. and one. They pulled those games out. Good on them. You know, you're in a tight game. You're able to find a way to win. More power to you. Why are you in a close game with Detroit? Like, I know they can score points, but they can't stop a clock. Like, yeah. how do you win by only four against them at home in Minnesota? I, I, there's some of these games, yeah. they should they should walk away with some of those. And for some reason, these teams it'll, hang around with them. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And the Bills, you talk about the Bills and how they've kind of gone through their their own evolution during this you know this season. Um, the Vikings themselves, nobody has. Re- has more receiving yards against man defense this year than Justin Jefferson, the, the wide receiver for the Vikings. He's got a ton of reps against man. Uh, they go off coverage. Uh, they use pick plays against him. Jefferson is 59.4% catch rate uh, overexpected versus man coverage. So that guy's catching a ton of balls even against man and when they don't expect him to be, to be able to catch it. Um, now, here's another interesting thing about the Bills' defense. After playing primarily zone to begin the season, the Bills' use of man has spiked since the Week 6 game at Kansas City. 
despite they, they, them being less efficient in those looks. Buffalo played man coverage on 44.1% of the coverage snaps since week six. That's since the Kansas City game. So in the last uh, few games, the Bills have gone to playing a lot more man coverage. That's uh, 18% from weeks one through five is what they used to play. They used to play like one out of every five snaps was man. Now um, it's 44%. Well, I think it's because is, Elam can do it, number one. And, I'd have to do it with Poyer and Hyde being out. Well, right. I also wonder what qualifies as a man coverage snap. Because what if you're playing, you know, man on one side and zone on the other? You know what I mean? Like, right. that happens too. So what do they call that? How does that factor in? Because yeah. the Bills have done that before. They did it in the Chiefs game on the last interception by Taron Johnson. Yeah, they did it. They So they've played man prim- much twice as much man as usual. Uh, even more than twice as much man as usual against the Chiefs, against the Packers, and against the Jets. That's interesting. Um, I don't see them doing that with Jefferson. We'll you see. may do it with the other guys on the other half of the field. Yeah. But bracket up Jefferson. He's too good. He'll eat you alive, as you just pointed out. He'll eat you alive if you play him in man. Right. Down in and down out. You've got to you, you, – yeah. Well, it'll, that's, what, that's why I thought it was going to be interesting because the Bills have started to evolve away from uh, zone coverage and get a lot more man, playing twice as much man as they have. Uh, two out of every five snaps are man. Um, but Jeff, Justin Jefferson will crush you if you play him yeah. in man. So I will we'll also see. say this. I went back and watched the Bills-Jets game again just to kind of get a better feel for Josh's decisions. And the biggest thing that I came away from it with was the reason the Jets' pass rush was so successful was primarily because Josh wasn't taking checkdowns. There were guys underneath that were open with pretty – pretty good frequency and Josh was insistent on trying to make the bigger play down the field which was some which is something we really have not seen from him I want to say in years he was still doing that every once in a while back in 2019 as a second year player but this year we had not seen that from him at all and we I saw it in the Jets game I could have count on two hands how many times he had a check down option available, you know, it's like second and 15 and he's got Dawson Knox underneath in the middle of the field by himself. You get half of it back. Now it's third and right. seven or from missed tackle. And he's trying to yeah. stick it in somewhere, 20 yards down the field right. outside the numbers. And I think that's one of the things that probably had him miffed after the game when he, when he described the way he, he himself played. So, um, but after the game's too late. Well, that's right. And I think maybe at some, Hard point, lesson, man. at some point, you know, you'd like your offensive coaches to start getting in his ear during the game saying, hey, listen, the check downs are there. Take them. Take them. Uh, whether they were doing that or not remains to be seen, but you got to have somebody in there holding them accountable. Maybe right. like Case Keenum or, you know, the quarterback's I, coach, all that. I think that's where Josh's competitive nature gets the best of him. Oh, yeah, you guys are the best coverage defense and blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to stick it here in this tight window 
and show you you're not the best. You know what I mean? I could see might have been, some of that. The worst thing possible might have been that 42-yarder that they started the game with. He says, now we're going to get him. We're going to do well, a whole game. You know? yeah. and, and all of a sudden. Maybe a false sense of security right. or a boost to the ego. Um, yeah, but I just watching it back, it's all, it almost made me feel better about the game because, to me, that's an easy, fixable thing. If your old line just flat out isn't good enough, that's going to be a problem the next time you face them. Right. I think I think the problems that they had with protection were more rooted in Josh's unwillingness to take the checkdowns when they were there and available to him to alleviate any kind of pressure. So hopefully that's a correctable thing that they fix the next time they play the Jets or the next time they take the field, quite right. frankly, with Josh in the lineup. That's my hope anyway. Um, so I was kind of my spirits were a little buoyed by that uh, because I thought it was a quarterback decision making thing with respect to the protection more than anything else. So ho- I'm sure they went over it in film on Monday, and you know Josh is a wiser quarterback for right. it um, going forward. We have to take a break here. When we come back, more on this Bills Vikings matchup. Here's something to think about that we'll discuss when we come back. If Keenum is the starter, who figures to see a lot more targets than maybe they have thus far this season with him in the lineup? We'll explore that next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Bills tickets, check. Face paint, Check your favorite apple with the epic crunch. Snapdragon apples are back. Available now at Wegmans. Fuel your day with Snapdragon apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. Snap into one. Um, we wanted to discuss this, Steve. Under the hypothetical situation in which Case Keenum is the starter on Sunday, knowing the passing game will change to some degree, with Keenum in the lineup as opposed to Allen, if in fact that happens. Who do you think could be a more frequent target uh, with Keenum in the lineup as opposed to Allen, knowing some elements of the passing game are likely to change? I would say probably uh, tight end Dawson Knox or the running back, um, whoever it might happen to be, either, you know, Devin Singletary, James Cook, or Naheem Hines, I think those are that's that's the group you're going to look at certainly because those are easier throws, easier close to line of scrimmage, get right. rid of it quick, and you can be more creative with the formation and where they line up and who's going to pick them up, uh, motion shifts, all of that stuff comes into play. Uh, so to me, that would be where you could get Case Keenum an advantage, get the ball out of his hands quick into some guys that can really do something with it. I'm thinking the backs could be super busy if Keenum's the starter on Sunday. And with guys like Cook and Hines, you give those guys opportunities in space, I think they've got a good chance to pick up the yards after the catch that you don't get by the quick-release passing game. Um, right. It's a good pass rushing tandem between Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith. Uh, Case Keenum cannot get away from trouble the way Josh Allen can. So I think you got to plan your passing game accordingly. And I would work the quick passing game 
uh, to the umpteenth degree in this one if I know Keenum's the guy that's going to be in the lineup this weekend. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know that he's going to do it any other way. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. Because the, the, to me, if Keenum's playing, the main aim of the Bills' offense is stay on schedule. I mean, Josh is good at overcoming long down and distance with a great degree of success. Bless you. Thank but you. for Keenum, it's a taller task because he yeah. doesn't bring the elite physical traits to the table that Josh does. So yeah, nobody's, stay on schedule. Nobody's worried about throwing a spy on Case Keenum. So <laughs> right, you, you get an extra guy out there to do whatever you want with him. Um, but Ken Dorsey should have an understanding of what it's like to be that guy. Ken Dorsey's not wasn't a runner as a quarterback. He was a thinker and a thrower. Um, he, he should know what it takes to make a guy like Case Keenum really comfortable out there in an offense and formulate a game plan around it. The problem is, when do you know you're going to have to do that? Did, did you know it yesterday that Josh is not going to play, play? Apparently not. Are you going to find out on Saturday? Well, it's too late. Yeah. So. Well, you know Keenum's getting all the reps today. So, but like I said, what plays do you practice? The ones yeah. that you're going to run in the game with Josh or the ones that you think you're going to run with Case Keenum? Are you getting guys ready to – who are you getting them guys ready to play with? I think you're getting them ready to play with Keenum because it's a change from what you have been doing. That's right. And you want to get them accustomed to those changes. In, as much as possible. If, in fact, yeah. he has to play, where if all of a sudden you get to the end of the week – Allen's elbow is miraculously pain-free or whatever, and he can play, you're obviously going to play him and then change on the fly how you're calling the game, but it's going to be more in line with what you've done the first eight games anyway. So I say the focus this week is on how you would run it with Keenum in the game to get them used to those kinds of changes, knowing it's not going to be the same as what you ran the first eight games. That would seem logical, right? I mean, right. So he's getting all the snaps today in practice with the install of the game plan beginning today. So we'll see what happens tomorrow, uh, whether Josh is part of the practice equation or not. And then, you know, I think by Friday it's going to be pretty clear what direction this thing is headed. Yeah. If, I mean, if Josh is limited tomorrow, that doesn't tell you anything either. Then Friday, if he's still limited or if he's full, then you start to get an idea. But if he's limited Friday again, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you proceed like that. Well, you proceed on, yeah, I think you, you're, you're Keenum, Keenum, Keenum until the athletic training staff and the medical staff says, Josh is good to play. Until right. that statement is made, you prep with Keenum. That's what you do, um, at least as I see it. So level of confidence in Keenum is the next question. I know Bills fans are, at least from the response I've seen on social media, they're nervous, and, and understandably so. I mean, certainly you don't want to drop two games in a row. Uh if you're not going to have Josh this week, it's a good week because it's not an AFC opponent. So it won't impact you in the AFC conference race and obviously not in the AFC East division race. 
as far as some of those tiebreakers, although common games does come into it uh, with your division opponents at some point if you're locked up and it's way down the list. But the weight of this game is not nearly as heavy as the upcoming division games, of which there are four left, or the AFC conference games that are left on Buffalo's schedule. So looking at it that way, if you had to play Case Keenum in a game, this is one of the ones you would have picked, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, otherwise it's Lions, Bears, even the Lions. Lions. I mean, I mean, you'd that's hate it. To, you'd hate to play them on the Lions just because it's Thanksgiving Day, right? That's it. I mean, other than that, it's the Lions or the or the Vikings, maybe the Bears, but that's late in the game, late in the year. You'd like to play them in the Bears game uh, because you've already got the division wrapped up in the one seed. <laughs> you know. Yes. But that's not you know that's yes. kind of off the You're table. Super optimistic, right. here, Steve? But that's yeah. This is a game that is. In that respect, the most attractive to do that to. I don't know though. I, yeah, these games are meaningful. They're meaningful yeah. because you're in a tight race for the conference number one seed. And quite frankly, the team that's chasing you doesn't look like they're stumbling at all. Kansas City mm-hmm. uh, and Tennessee is gathering in, and so is Baltimore. Those teams have got it together now. Uh, although mm-hmm. Buffalo has beaten all of them. They do have a head-to-head tiebreaker with all three, which is good. Now they got to take care of their division, uh, where they are currently 0-2. We will take a break here. When we come back, hour number two, we'll have DeMar Hamlin fresh off the field here in studio to talk to him. It's part of our Austin Air fresh off the field interviews every week. And we'll also discuss what do you do with Case Keenum in the game? What is the formula for victory? against the Vikings if Keenum is your starter. We'll discuss next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two here on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. And we wanted to discuss a little bit here the formula for victory, if in fact it is Case Keenum in the lineup. And I think we all realize it's going to have to look different with Keenum in the lineup than Allen, if that in fact proves to be the case on Sunday. And my level of concern deals with the run game, Steve, because logic would say you're going to need a little bit more support from that area of the offense, knowing that to ask Keenum to carry the whole load is probably a little unfair. So with that in mind, and with what you saw from the run game last week, and I'll just tell you right up front, Minnesota 10th in the league against the run. The Jets were ninth. Um, how do you see a formula to victory for the Bills if, in fact, Keenum's your starter? 
Here's what I think it'll look like. I mean, Keenum's going to have to have some early success. Uh, they're going to have to go the long way. Uh, but I think even if they don't, if they do snap off some explosive plays, it's going to be short pass, long run. And I think Keenum will know, do what we're saying that Josh should have done last week, and that's um, take the check down. He'll do that. Um, and I think whoever catches those have to make the most of them. You're going to you're going to have to have some yards after catch. Yeah. You're going to have to have some, you know, missed tackles, that kind of thing on on their defense. And the running game has got to be consistent, and I don't mean, you know, it's got it doesn't have to be the thing you do all more than passing it, but you do have to be able to be in the game at a point where you can hand it off whenever you want uh on a regular down a distance and they got to defend it. You can't make this – you can't get one-dimensional, uh, I guess is what I'm saying. So that's what it's going to look like. I think you're going to see Case Keenum in a perfect world. He's he's having a a 20 for 30, 20 for 27 kind of game. 200 um, yards. 225, 230 yards, a couple of touchdowns, and, and he, he can't turn it over. You can't turn it over. Um defensively, you've got to hold this this Vikings team to 20 points or less, hopefully like 17, 14 points. If you can do that, you're going to give yourself a chance. You know, like they're never going to get out of the way, but out of the out of reach. But, you know, the Bills, you don't know who's going to be available. Is Milano going to hang in there? Is Greg Rousseau going to make it back somehow, some way? Is Poyer going to be in the lineup? Milano? Um, Edmonds. Edmonds. Tremaine. Uh, Tredavious. Is he going to be out there? Um and if they're not, who's going to step in? Dane Jackson, even. So, you know, you've got you got a lot of question marks you got to do. But if, if Josh doesn't play in this game, it's very, fairly obvious. This is a team that is good enough and deep enough and talented enough to win games without Josh. But they've got to all play well. The better. margin for error is. They've got to play better than they played in the last game and a half. Yeah. As a group. They've all had moments where they played pretty good, but they got to do that for four quarters against the Vikings yeah. if they're going to win without Josh. And I will say this. You know, you spoke about the offensive approach. I'll talk about the defense a little bit here. The Bills' defensive front and the investments made there have got to make a difference. They did not make a difference last week. Um, thanks to a quick passing game by the Jets, getting it out quick, guys getting open in early separation. And also due to the fact that the Jets very often for most of the day were in third and manageable because they couldn't stop the run on first and second down. And so at least from what I've seen from Minnesota is when you can get them in third and medium to third and long, that's when you can really get home on Kirk Cousins. Longer developing routes to get the first down, and that's when Minnesota's offensive line becomes a little bit susceptible and Kirk Cousins starts getting knocked around in the pocket a little bit. So yeah. those those big guys in the middle, you know, Oliver, Phillips, Settle, Daquan Jones, those guys have got to lock it up on Dalvin Cook on the early downs so that the ends can go eat on third down because it's third and 12 or third and eight or third yeah. and nine. Kirk Cousins is, is not a stiff you got to play well against him. He's good, and he and I don't want to say it like like this is a bad thing. He's good enough for that team to win and beat anybody, and he plays like it occasionally. They they're seven and one for a reason. 
They don't make the mistake. They don't make mistakes. They don't turn it over. They got a good running game. They got a, a very efficient passing game. You watch them play, and the, the first couple of series against the Miami Dolphins, they were they were like, how did the Dolphins, you know, even hang in there with them? This is a team that really moves the football well. Um, so the Bills are up against it, no question. Particularly if Josh, if Josh doesn't play. And because you've got to beat a really good team that's playing well left-handed. And that's that's a big ask for anybody. Yeah. Defense has to show up and show out and yeah. be a top-flight defense. you got to make some splash plays defensively, no question about it. You've got to get some sacks and you got to get some turnovers. And that's and you got to do it in such a way that you can your offense can capitalize. I mean, the Bills are fourth in the league with 15 takeaways. Minnesota, their credit, has 14. They're right behind them. As we know, the Bills have 14 of their own giveaways, which is third most in football. Minnesota only has eight turnovers in eight games. Eight. And they're a plus six because of it, which is third best in football. And it's a big reason why they're 7-1. and one. Philadelphia is a plus 15. They're undefeated. And then Baltimore and Dallas after that have taken care of the football pretty well. So far this season, Bills have to take care of the football. On it's kind of funny. Like in a way, they have to use the Jets' formula last week, this week if they have Keenum in the lineup. That's essentially right. what they got to do. Right. Play mistake-free football on offense. Run it well enough to stay in third and manageable. Convert those, and then play lights out on defense and special teams. Yeah, I mean, you look. Yeah, like last last week. Look at the kind of game that. Your boy Zach Wilson had eighteen to twenty-five for a buck fifty-four and one one touchdown. That's that's a Case Keenum kind of day. You know, you'd like to see him throw it a little bit more than twenty-five times. Maybe maybe go twenty for twenty-seven. Come but, near, come around near yeah. two hundred. But or that's something. a that's a seventy percent you know completion. Per, 70, yeah, seventy-two. percent So you got you got to do that. That's what you're going to have to do. You got to stay on the field, and you've got to score points and be efficient um, against a really good football team. You can't turn it over doing that. The Bills so far this year, and you mentioned it, they're, they're turning it over at a pretty high rate. It's almost two a game. But they, but they're a, you know, with Josh Allen at quarterback, this team's a wagon, man. They can overcome that stuff, and they don't even. That's not even a stumble for them. They're going to get the ball back, and they're going to go down, and, and you're going to have you're be on the ropes again. Most times. Most yeah. times. So. They can do that with Josh. Uh, the defense still, when the Bills are taking a snap offensively with Josh Allen at quarterback, they're still defending all four corners of that field, no matter where the ball is. All four corners all the time. And with Case Keenum or with you know somebody else at quarterback anybody, and any other team, they don't have to you – know, the Bills' defense doesn't have to cover that big a field. Yeah. Nobody else can sling it like that. So it's a big change, and it's an adjustment for everybody. And, and, you know, in the Bills' favor, the Vikings are going to have a hard time wondering. They're going to be wondering what the Bills are going to look like when they do take the field if Case Keenum's the quarterback. Yeah. I, I was surprised to see Minnesota last in the league in red zone defense. Last. Now, they haven't given up a ton of red zone possessions, only 19 so far this season, but they're allowing opponents to score a touchdown 79% of the time. That is a fat number. 
Just for perspective, Buffalo's fourth in the league in red zone defense. They're only giving up touchdowns 48% of the time. 79% of the time your opponent cracks your 20-yard line, you're giving up seven? Man. Maybe that's why they're in tight games every week. It <laughs> may be. Keep people well, out of the it's certainly zone. a contributing factor. I mean, you, you, if the team has any success at all, they're coming away with six. You got to keep up with them. That's, um, yeah, that's that's weird, isn't it? It's kind of like an. It's like For is that a team an anomaly? That's lost one game. Yeah, it's it's strange to me. The cool thing, maybe the coolest thing about this game, and if Josh can't play, it'll be a shame. Because I think it'd be harder to put Stefan Diggs' exploits on display. Not to say that he and Keenum can't do it. Keenum's got a rapport with him. But you're getting two of the top three receivers in the league in receiving yards. Tyreek Hill's the only guy ahead of those two. And two of the top four, I think, in receptions in the league in Jefferson and Diggs. I mean, you want a marquee receiver matchup, it's here in Buffalo this weekend. I mean, those guys are just two special talents, and they'll always be intertwined because of the trade. Right. Because the first-round pick the Bills gave to Minnesota wound up being Justin Jefferson. I just think it's kind of a cool thing to have. I mean, this is like Andre Reid and Jerry Rice playing in the same game. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. It's kind of like yeah, that. And these two, these two clubs would consider it a win. Both, the, both clubs consider that a win, that, that trade. Nobody in the league since he came to Buffalo has been targeted more than Steph Diggs. Nobody. And he's come through big time for this club. So, uh, and Justin Jefferson, nobody would say they're unhappy with that pick in Minnesota. So, yeah, he's got the most receiving yards since and 2020. It was, it was the 22nd pick overall as well. So, it's – yeah, this is, this is fun to think about, these two guys. Yeah, I just think it's – it's a matchup where those are guys that your eyes are drawn to if you're in the stadium. If you're not beholden to what the TV camera shows you if you're sitting at home and watching it on TV, if you're one of those fans that are in a stadium for a matchup like this, you're not watching the ball for half the game. You're watching that guy. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's when it's a real treat, when you get to watch a supreme talent like that and you'll be able to do it no matter which offense is on the field with those two cats running around. Right. I just think that's – you don't get that – I mean, there's, don't get me wrong. There's a boatload of talent in this league. But to get two guys at the tippy top in the same game – and the Bills will have it again when it's Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs, you know, later this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a little bit of an extra treat when you get it from the other conference, you know, and it's Justin Jefferson. I mean, yeah. like I said, nobody's got – more receiving yards than Justin Jefferson since he came into the league in 2020. Yeah, Nobody. The, yeah, the Bills don't see these guys very often. And uh, certainly it's going to be fun to watch. Um, the, the problem is, and we talked about this for a second, it's supposed to be 33 and sleeting and raining and bad weather. Yeah, and, it could be some lake effect snow yeah. turning to rain. It's not good. Wind. Yeah. Um, could be a slog fest, depending on how much precip they get. One other thing on Justin Jefferson, he's got a chance to break his team record. He has 19 career games with 100-plus receiving yards. He's tied for the record most by any player in their first three seasons. Um. He's got five of those games this year already. And if he gets um, 
you know, obviously if he keeps going and gets another one, he's got a chance to pass Randy Moss on the Vikings all-time list uh, for 100-yard receiving games in his first three seasons. You're passing Randy Moss. I mean, you and I remember how dominant Randy Moss was his first three seasons in the league. He was literally unstoppable. Um, Like, it was – I remember going to games and and seeing Randy Moss in person. It was laughable. I mean, yeah. he, he would just blow the doors off of DBs. You would – and he, uh, he said it himself, too. He knew that when he showed up on a team, like when he showed up in New England, when he showed up in Minnesota, very quickly after he did that, teams, you couldn't play single high safety against him. You, you're never going to get any single high safety against Randy. Against Randy. You couldn't do it because he ran past everybody, and the guy – You never get an center, angle on him. The center fielder was done, you know, two seconds into the route. He was a touch. He was out of reach. So that kind of physical attributes, plus his ability to go up and get it and run around, the whole thing. Um, but his sheer speed and size were just difference makers. Um and he knew it. I mean, that you just teams all of a sudden. If you're going to play a team, Randy Moss is on. All of a sudden, you got two safeties in the game, and they're going to stay back all day. And that was the only chance you had to keep the lid on it. Yeah, I I still remember sitting in the Metrodome, late '90s. Bills were up there, and it's him, Chris Carter, Jake Reed, Dante Culpepper, and it was like asteroids were coming out of the sky. Dante Culpepper just was dropping just, into the hands. Just of, throwing rainbows. Oh, my gosh. Just high looping throws. And they're just running under him. For, not just for like a 50-yard play, but for 60-yard touchdowns. And they, I, It's amazing to me that that team didn't win more. Like, I know they got to an NFC title game in 98, and then they Denny. got upset by Atlanta. Denny Green, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they get – Listen, I, I we've said we've we've experienced here in Buffalo with this crew they've got on board right now. You you get to that point, you get Gary Anderson. Is it Gary Anderson? Mm-hmm. Thirty one for thirty one on the season. His last kick he misses, and they lose. Go home. No Super Bowl. No soup for you. Yep. And that's just and you're standing there on the sidelines. Everything you know, it's like seriously, yeah, seriously. That just doink. That the only kick the guy missed all year was the one that mattered. Oh my gosh. That's why they didn't win more. Yeah. We take a break here, but when we come back, we're going to be joined in studio by Bill Safety, Damar Hamlin. Check in with him as part of our Austin Fresh Off the Field weekly interviews. It's coming up next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, here we be. One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, and pleased to be joined on set now by the man who wears number three on your roster, number one in your heart. It's DeMar Hamlin, uh, Bills Safety, and he's part of our Fresh Off the Field interviews, which is brought to you by Austin Air, the official clean air provider of the Buffalo Bills. How we doing, DH? We doing good? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good, how you yeah. doing? Yeah, glad doing to have great. you here. Um, it's funny because we were just talking about how, you know, you've been here for a couple of years now. And because of COVID and all the restrictions we've had, 
we haven't like really even talked to you face to face. And I mean, I know we haven't gotten around to doing it here during training camp when things were finally open again, but it's just, it's just good to kind of chat with you a little bit, like get to know you a little bit better and kind of, you know, like, so I feel like we're welcoming. We're really late for the welcoming party. Yeah. 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 It feels <laughs> good. Got for, drafted a year and a half ago. <laughs> it feels good for things to be back to normal. Almost feels a little abnormal to yeah. be doing things. Um, regular schedule programming again, but it feels good. You, uh, you and Jaquan now have started three games together, if my math is right, with all the time that Porter's missed. And obviously we know Mike has done for the year. Um, has it maybe just – I know you guys have lined up together in training camps, mm-hmm. untold number of practices. Games are different. I don't have to tell you that. Now that you're three games in as a starting tandem together, what has been the progression for you in terms of playing off one another – in a regular season game setting? Um, you know, just getting comfortable um, with the other nine guys out there on the okay. field. Um, really just playing off of each other, playing off of what's in front of us, uh, things like that. But like you said, um, we've been playing together th- all through OTAs, all through uh, training camp, mm-hmm. and all through preseason. So our chemistry as far as playing with each other, it's already been, you know, kind of so intact. Yeah, yeah. It's, that it's, you're counting on. It's now been it's intact. about everything Yeah, else. so yeah. really we're just trying to – it's just all about fitting in the system, playing within the, the guard rows of the system, and doing our job. You have you and you and Jaquan have sat there and watched Poyer and Hyde do their thing for a while yeah, now. No How much of it is there when you guys plug yourselves in and say, "Listen, I'm going to I'm going to play this this way," and and. How much of it is like let's let's do exactly what Micah and Poyer did on this play on this one, but let's do it this way when we do it that kind of thing. I mean, you got to play your own game and you stay within the the parameters. But yeah, uh, you and Jaquan have your own probably system of communication, just like Poyer and Hyde do, right? Um, really, it's it's pretty much all the same line of communication. It's just like a it's pretty much like a standard. That's what we call it. You know, it's a standard that we all uphold, um, no matter who's out there. So it's not really too much different than. Um, Micah and Poe as far as like communication and things that should be said that we haven't Mm -hmm. we're not really like changing too much of our scheme or anything like that it's pretty much just upholding the standard Um, and it is a it's a big bonus being able to watch two all pros do it exactly how it's supposed to be done so um, that's something that I rely on as well so I might go check out some film and see how Micah did it or he's right there on the sideline you know just to coach me up or let me know some tips or anything of how to do it but um, in the same sense, with all that being said, uh, I am my own player. So when I do get out there, I got to be myself within the system. Yeah, is it now when you guys go out and say, I know some of the things that make Poirier and Hyde so good and, and have people talking about them is how hard it is for quarterbacks to key on what coverage guys are running pre snap. Um, how confident were you when you got started, and how much has it grown since like, you feel confident of being out of position when the ball is snapped and getting back to your spot? making the coverage that you need to make after the snap in knowing that you leave yourself vulnerable during that time? Yeah, um, something that I've been – that has been growing on me, um, something I had to learn. You know, first you have to know what your job is and how to execute it at a high level. And then on top of that, it's, you know, trying to make the quarterback see something else um, pre-snap or even maybe a little bit post-snap right. just to right. just to hold them that one extra second, you know. So um, it's something I had to learn, but um, – I'm going to keep saying this as much as we talk, um, just being able to have them to do it in front of me. Um, since I got here, I've, I've been, been studying, just learning, just trying to trying to see how to do it exactly the right way. Yeah. The, They've been a credit to that. There's a lot of layers to this because 
when you stem into it, stem in after the ball snap, you get to your right position. But you don't want to, like, stand over here without a reason. you got to make him think it's an actual, real coverage that you're going to play. You can't just stand out of position and say, I don't know what that guy's doing. Mm -hmm. You want to give him an idea that, like, you want to fool him. Say, here's what we're going to run, and then run out of it. And you got to have – that means other guys got to be doing the same thing. So there's, it's not just – not showing him what you're going to do by standing in some random spot. You're trying to give yeah, him the wrong idea. It's calculated. Yeah, yeah it's very much calculated. Like, like playing chess. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's, that's how hard, I see it. That's hard to do. It is. Coach Frazier, uh, I would say if there's one thing, at least just from the naked eye, that looks different to me in terms of the way he's made use of your skill set is he likes putting you up pretty close to the line of scrimmage, getting physical with people. Um, you know, I know you don't like getting your. No I know you don't have a problem getting your nose dirty. So not at all. Maybe just talk about the physical mindset that you seem to have, because I mean, you are not shy about you know laying wood to people when you get the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just all I know how to play football. That's just how I was raised. That's how I was brung up. Um, every system I was in from high school to college to here was, you know, um, we're not shying away from no contact and. Uh, pretty much as simple as see ball, get ball. So, you know, recognize the play, diagnose what's going on, and go tackle the guy who got the ball. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> don't – pretty much make it um, no more complicated than yeah, that. It becomes pretty simple after that. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us an idea. You guys, uh, last week – and I w I've said this. You ran into a Jet team. They played uh, against you guys this last week. They played better than they played on film against anybody else. They put together their, it might have been their, best, their game. best game of the season. Performance-wise. A, a lot of teams would have had a hard time beating the Jets last week. Give us an idea of going forward, what you can learn from a tough game like that, and you know how you can apply it to this Vikings game. Something I, I can say is that you know we're going to get everyone's best no matter what. Um, no matter what week it is. And you know we have to show up as well, knowing that. Um, and it's... it's it's a simple game, you know, no matter what level you're on. Um, Little League, college, football, it's about handling the, the small details of things the right way, um, executing your calls, executing your fundamentals. Like, it's all about the, the, the things that make the game simple. If you do those at a high level, then you'll probably get the results that you want to get. Um, so just taking last week, learning from um, not getting the outcome that we want, that's something that I'm taking into this next week. Just, you know, just trying to do my job a little bit better and just trying to worry about the, the simple things and let all the big things come to me. Is there a part of you that still kind of pinches yourself when you realize you not only have a college teammate but a childhood friend running with you as a professional athlete in the same defense, in the same secondary? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm sure you're not the first tandem and you probably won't be the last, but – that's a pretty special, it's rare a thing. Super blessing, like super blessing. Um, just having someone like Dane, just being able to just play with me, um, it feels so surreal. Like I can't even describe it, but I, I cherish it every second that I can. You know, every second of every day. We just had our prayer, our, our DB prayer. We do every Wednesday mm. outside. He was next to me, and I just grabbed his hand a little bit harder, just because you know, you never know when like the last day could be that you get in a experience something like this you know so I'm just I'm cherishing it every moment I can um and he it makes it a little bit easier for me you know just having like coming in being a rookie having someone that I trust um someone who's like a big brother figure to yeah, it's me like having a family that I can you know just literally like walk behind like a a, a baby duckling just finding <laughs> just finding my way through yeah what I should be doing what I shouldn't be doing you know early on and then making my own path through that 
So um, he's been nothing short of, of that. Because we're going back to – we're talking like grade school here, right? Like when did you yeah. – like first, second, third grade? Like how yeah, long we you met, been... I mean, we, we kind of – we're from the same side of town. Yeah. So it's like we right. always knew of each other. You know, family's small, so his family know my family, things like that. We played a scrimmage against each other, Little League. So we were always familiar with each other, always knowing who each other were. And then, you know, we ended up going to the same college together, which was like – Something cool, really something cool, that yeah. something that people don't even get to yeah, experience yeah. there, um, especially coming from our side of town. Like it's a lot of people don't go Division One, a lot of people don't even get to like see other things in the environment that they come from. So just being able to take that to a whole nother level and be here with the Bills um, is something that we we definitely are cherishing, and we're yeah, not going to let slip. That's a once in a life. That's not even once in a life. That's like once in a generation mm-hmm. that would happen to a couple of guys. And it's certainly, you know, you got Tremaine and his brother and Steph and. And that, and and uh, even James Cook and his brothers, they're scattered yep, around. But yep. to be on the team and being and kind of hang tough with the same team throughout every different level, yeah, really, really unusual. And, and still and rare. be kind of like having similar chemistry how we did at Pitt. Yeah. You know, it's like we we're able to play off of each other like without even saying little words. You know, communication. We communicate um, a lot, but like you know, it's just. I know how to play off of him through his body movements, and I know how to communicate with him, and we know how to, like, be deceptive within our system and mm-hmm. within just whoever we're playing. We know how to just be deceptive, play off of each other, and just work together well, and it shows. Do your guys' families get to come in? Do they come in together, too, when they come in for home games? Do they come um, in separate, much? Or? You know, we, we both got our own um, own situations, own families and stuff. They come gotcha. in separate, but we're literally, we live, um, like, we're next door neighbors to each other, his complex and then my complex. Yeah. So pretty much, like I said, like that little duckling, uh, once I got drafted, yeah, yeah, yeah. I pretty much asked That's him, where great. you live at? Like, where you, where'd you get this at? Where you do this? Where you? Right. And it's, I just, I fell right in line. And things yeah. were just that much simpler, that much easier for me to just transition to this level. Yeah, so we don't, we don't know what's going to happen this week. And there's a lot of talk about how Josh, whether he is going to play or isn't going to play. Give me an idea, give us an insight as to, like if Josh doesn't play and Case Keenum's the guy and you find that out like Friday, Saturday, or even Sunday, it's a last-minute uh, kind of decision. Give us a sense of what it's like when the team is going to rally around Case. I mean, because you will. I mean, you're going to say, mm-hmm. all right, we're, we're going to do this and we're going to do it with Case and we're going to do it together and here we go. Give us a sense of the emotion behind that and, and the voices that you guys, you know, who steps up and says, let's go. Oh, yeah, it'll be nothing but support from the whole team, you know, and Case is a, a veteran quarterback in this league with – nothing but experience so um we believe in him and we're nothing but confident that he can get the job done uh he did well for us throughout the preseason and he does well for us every day in practice things that the outside world don't get to see um but like i said he's a veteran quarterback so um every man on the roster will be 100 percent behind him and ready to get this one Sounds good to me. Listen, tomorrow, thanks for sitting down, spending some time with no us. Problem. We appreciate it. It was good to kind we'll of chat again, with you for, for a little sure. bit, and hopefully we see you more down the line. Good luck on Sunday. Thank you. That is Bill Safety, DeMar Hamlin. We turn now to the guy he was just talking about, Case Keenum at the podium. Or actually, sorry, he's in the locker room addressing the media. Let's go there now. A lot of weapons out of the backfield, uh, and then everybody knows our receivers and what they can do. So uh, it's, a, it's a lot of guys. Um, you throw the tight ends in there. Don't forget about them either. And, uh, you know, we could do a lot of different things with a lot of different people and a lot of different personnels. Is it easier for you to approach this because, you know, after being a starter for a couple of years, you have been a backup, and you've gone in and started as a backup in recent years. Does that kind of help you in this situation, ramping it up to play? Yeah, I've been, I've been in all situations. I've been, uh, you know, played 
a lot without any practice. You know, how to do that, step into the middle of the game. I've practiced some and then played. I've practiced very little and played. I've, I've literally any situation, you know, you could probably think of throughout the week. So uh, just come in each day, like I said, take it a day at a time and, and see what uh, what the plan is and, and, uh, and get ready to go. Is there anything that's different? Been like with Josh this week and where's his head at coming off the injury and How's he helping you prepare for a potential opportunity to start this week? I mean, you have to ask him uh, as far as where he's at. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's being in meetings and stuff. Our meetings are, you know, the same. I mean, we get co- we all get coached the same, and uh, uh, great communication in there with Joe and Dorsey. Uh, and it's, you know, it's it's uh, it's seamless. You know, we're we're talking through the same game plan, doing the same same things we always do. Uh, you know, same meetings at the same time here coming up pretty soon. Does that make it any different? I was just going to ask you. You've been down this road before, but is there something that's different about this particular situation, the communication, the environment, or whatever, um, as you prepare this week? Yeah, I mean, there's always little differences, um, but uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm preparing each each day the same. Uh, you know, I continue to, to tweak and, and continue to try to make myself better and work on things I need to work on. Uh, keep getting better at things I'm good at. Um, so. I don't know if that answers your question, but okay, good. I know Thank you, you. Don't, you don't have to tackle him. You played with Dalvin. You know what? What kind of player is he that you've seen? Oh, you mean Cook one point oh? Yeah, we got Cook two point oh over right. here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just tell us a little bit about him and playing with him. Yeah. Same oh, he's great. Yeah, he's great. Um, I'll, I'll take our guy. You talked about the weapons, but there's been a lot of public talk this week about the lack of production from anyone besides Diggs in this receiving court. I feel a little urgency to move the ball around this week. I haven't, I haven't heard any of that around here. Um, it's being talked about. Is it? Yeah. Okay, well, we don't, we don't listen to much that's being talked about. Uh, that's Your not in the building. said he thought maybe I mean, you know, we all we all want to produce, you know, uh, I want to produce, you know, I'm, I'm on the sideline, you know, so uh, I think everybody cares, everybody loves the game, uh, wants to do well. And, you know, whoever whoever gets in the end zone, um, it doesn't matter who's who's the one there. We'll all meet him and celebrate when we get there. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, this game, uh, it's hard. It's, it's, it's one of those, it's not, if, uh, if you get hurt, it's kind of win. You know, that's just the nature of the game. It's a violent game. Uh, and, and I hate it for a friend, you know, uh, anytime they're, they're dealing with, uh, you know, something, something, uh, you know, being banged up. So, uh, yeah, I hate it. But, uh, you know, uh, I try to compartmentalize that and, uh, you know, go do my job when I'm on the field. You played in multiple team environments throughout your career. What do you think about having the chance to play in front of this crowd as a starter in front of Bill Mafia? Well, the fact that uh, when I came in uh, for some mop-up duty uh, early in the year, in the fourth quarter we were up by 40 and everybody was still on their feet the entire game. <laughs> I imagine, uh, you know, playing if, you know, if I do get to play early, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be pretty special. I'm going to have to calm myself down a little bit. It's pretty electric over there. Do your conversations change You know, it's uh, it's similar. I mean, we have a great discussion in the quarterback room. You know, no matter what, for all plays. So, um, you know, we have a lot of great voices, a lot of great minds in there, and uh, you know, try to learn learn from everybody. And um, you know, so. 
it's 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 a uh, it's a good discussion at all times. You talk about the the mental, one, guys. The mental reps. How how much does that help make you feel comfortable with this playbook going forward? Yeah, I mean, mental reps are uh, are everything for me. Um, as a backup quarterback in this league, uh, there's not enough reps to go around for the starters. But being a backup quarterback, you don't really get any reps uh, of your own offense a lot during the week. So. Uh, the visualization, the, the the mental preparation, is basically all you have at times. So that's 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 huge. Cool. All right, so that's Case Keenum addressing the media after practice today. After he got all of the reps with the first team, Josh Allen not practicing today. I thought it was interesting, Steve, that Coach McDermott during his press conference today was talking about how most times Case wants the scout team reps in the course of the practice week, in other words, running the other team's offense so he can stay sharp with his internal clock, feel a rush from what amounts to Buffalo's starting defense going against him, get a feel for the timing of the rush, the progressions that he has to go through. He wants to run scout teams so he can stay sharp in that aspect. He's not running the Bills' offense. He's running the opponent's offense, but those elements of the game – are important for him to stay sharp on. I thought that was interesting to hear that from Coach Yeah, he, it's, it's as close as you can get to live reps, and you're still playing against a really good defense. And it it just keeps you sharp. Um, you got to throw it on time. you got to you feel the rush. You do all that stuff. It's as good a practice as you can ever get um, without running your own offense. And that's, you know, I think a lot of guys felt that way. I know uh, through my years in the league, it was it was not just a throwaway period. Guys were, you know, Frank Reich, Gail Gilbert, those guys were taking reps, throwing yeah. the football and throwing it hard, trying to get guys open. And I know I was running wide out. I was working on my skills as a wide out the same way. So it was uh, it was not a throwaway period by any stretch of the imagination. Just because you weren't getting ready to play or start, you were running against the defense, and they wanted to see it. So. Um, used to take great pride in playing well against those guys. And, and at the same time, you just heard Keenum talking about, as a backup, yeah, you may get live scout team reps, but it's not your offense. So now you have to flip it around and go stand behind Josh and visualize yourself executing what right. you're watching, not right. what you're repping physically. Yeah. That's, you and that's a, that can be a, a heavy lift. Like, you really got to apply yourself to do it that it's way. It's an incredible amount of concentration. Because you run through reps in the same practice, you're doing this and doing that and taking, you know, trying to give the defense as good a play as you can give them. And then when you sit back and watch Josh or the offense go, in this case, you know, Case Keenum, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to implant yourself into what Josh is looking at and what he's doing. Uh And you think, what? You think, well, why didn't he, you know, I would have. And it, it becomes very clear very quickly why guys are different. Case Keenum back there going, I would have taken that right there, right then. I would have thrown it already. And Josh still got the ball in his hand trying to fit it in down the field. Those kind of differences. Um, and then when it, and you kind of note that. And then when you go back and you watch the practice after that or the next day, you're thinking, I was taking this one right here. And you tell that to Josh, say, I'm taking this right here. And he'll say, well, that's that. And you have a conversation about the availability, how open it is, how easy of a completion it is, the pluses and minuses, even if both plays are successful, which one do you want better? Um, or which one's most likely to help you? All those conversations go into the memory bank. And it, you, can, you can tell just from explaining all of that, you know, the high level these guys are functioning at. Yeah. 
you know, and how the nuances and why you take this why you take this easy completion in this situation rather than that one because of the down and distance, because of this, because of the time of the game, because of, you know, first quarter, third quarter, that kind of stuff. It's it's advanced calculus. It's a lot. There's a lot in there. And that's why you got 25 guys on the coaching staff and you got two quarterbacks that are sitting there with you thinking like you do and a quarterback's coach that'll talk to the coordinator for you. It's it's a system and a process that you got to fall into oh, yeah. that you got to know what's going on. It's it is not easy and you got to tip your hat to these guys for doing it at such a high level. Break time for us here, Steve and I with one more segment to go when we return on One Bills Live presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And before we get rolling here for the day, uh, I was thinking about DeMar Hamlin's comments when he was here in studio with us earlier this hour and just how he said playing with Dane Jackson at Pitt and then here allows them the nonverbal communication that you can use on the field they know how to play off of one another based on Dane's body language, DeMar said. And I felt like that's where Poyer and Hyde were in terms yeah. of their on-field relationship. And it sounds like DeMar and Jaquan Johnson are trying to develop that on the fly here, but it's not there yet. And you understand yeah. why, but... Yeah, they're, they'll get there and because they're committed to doing it. They've played together at a bunch of different levels of football, and you know that kind of relationship takes some time, although Hyde and Poyer got it pretty quickly. And uh, once you get some confidence, that's all it takes. That's it for us today here on a Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow on Thursday. Field Yates, Pete Bursich, and former Bills receiver Lee Evans joining us. We'll see you then at 1. <laughs>